At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. You're listening to the Gospel Community Church Sermons Podcast, where we go through books of the Bible, verse by verse and line by line, to hear the truth that God's Word has to encourage, discipline, and bless us in our daily lives. Good morning. I'd like to first say I am not David Patton and I am not Kirk McDonald, just so you don't get confused. I'm Greg Reed and I've had the privilege and pleasure of being here at Gospel Community Church ever since its inception and what a journey it has been. We're fixing to celebrate that as you just heard Lauren say. So if you haven't signed up, I'm telling you right now, call in today. Not during the message, please, but call in. I love the book of Hosea. It is my favorite Old Testament book. It's very near and dear to my heart. The Word of God in it is so strong. Just in reflection, the early history of Israel demonstrated God's loving response to an obedient people. However, in Hosea's day, they were not an obedient people. The people of Hosea's day had strayed far from their historic roots. They had wandered. The Word of God says, all we like sheep have gone astray. Well, they capitalized on that. They had become totally enmeshed in the fertility culture, which was the sex trade of the day. Can you imagine God's people? Never mind. God was placated by the observation of religious externals going through rituals just enough to check off the box and he was no longer the God of the covenant to them. They had minimized and lessened God to be like an idol. The covenant confirmed God's willingness to enter the arena of time in history and work on behalf of the people that he loved for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him would not perish but would have everlasting life have you ever loved someone that didn't love you back in the same manner don't elbow anyone don't point to them just examine your life and remember that time this is what God is dealing with You see, when you love with all of your heart and when you so love the world that you gave your only son, you want to be loved back in the same measure. It's difficult to find that, and it's certainly difficult in Hosea's day to find that. They wandered. They were lost. I found that when some people love, they want to be loved greater than because love becomes all about them I want to feel this I want to experience this it's all about me but God's love is all about us God's love is all about the world as John 3.16 says and the world is me and you it's you and I that God gave his son for You can take the world out and you can put your name in there. For God so loved Greg Reed that he gave his only begotten son. What a measure of love is that? Two little letters, so, S-O, loved, but it covers a multitude. It covers a million things. In review of Hosea, It talks about how God shows that he really loves us. I'm going to be giving you the GRV version today. That's the Greg Reed version. It's simplified. You know, I'm a country boy, and so I try to keep things simple. A scholar once said that the story of Hosea and Gomer is the greatest love story in the Bible outside of the birth, death, resurrection of Jesus Christ what a powerful love story is the book of Hosea God in his infinite wisdom 
gave two men in the Old Testament the opportunity to know what it was like to be God. And that's a difficult situation. A lot of times we think, oh, if I was God, I'd do this. We've all said that at times. But Hosea and Abraham got to find out. Abraham, God said, you want to know what it's like to be God? Take your son and slay him. Sacrifice him to me and for me to show me your love and to show me your obedience. There's no one here, I'm sure, that would raise their hand and say, here, I'll offer my son. That'd be difficult. But God spoke to Hosea. And he told him what to do. And basically, in my interpretation of this, he's saying, okay, Hosea, you want to know what it's like to be God? Here's what you do. I want you to go marry a harlot, an adulterous woman, a prostitute. And I want you to know how it feels to love a people that doesn't love you back. Somebody say, oh, me. How does it feel to love a people that doesn't love you back? Someone that's unfaithful, a Gomer. So he went and he married Gomer. And into that union was brought a child, Jezreel. A picture, if you will, of defeat for Israel to remind him. You know, we really don't need to be reminded of our defeats in our mind. But God wants us to know how that feels. So he said, name your first child Jezreel. And he said that they had another child. Now this may be a child that she brought home from one of her adulterous affairs, or it may be a child that her and Hosea conceived. But anyway, when the child was born, God told him to name the child No Mercy. Wow, that's an ugly name, but certainly not in the top 100 baby names in the book today. No mercy. So they named the baby No Mercy. Now, if you will, one translator said that it means not loved by me. I don't know a parent that can look at their child and say, you are not loved by me. And I know God cannot look at his children and say, you are not loved by me because he tells us over and over again in his word how much he loves us. So they took that child and then she went away again and she come back and she had another child. And God said, name that child not of my people. Not loved by me because no mercy. When you love people, you'll have mercy on them. How many of us as parents have said to our children, this hurts me more than it does you? And so we have mercy upon them. I grew up in a day when it was all right to give your child a spanking. And when my mom and dad told me that it hurt them more than it did me, I didn't understand that because it was hurting me pretty good. <laughs> but then I had kids of my own. And I understood what it was to have to correct that child and say, this hurts me more than it does you. So they had the three children, and Hosea went on, and then God tells him in chapter 3, your wife has gone away. He said, he's, I'm sure he's complaining. Anybody else here? Don't raise your hand. Complain to God. I do. Adam started it out. This woman you gave me, God. But Hosea was complaining to God, and God said, Hosea, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go find her again, and I want you to marry her again. So Hosea did. Now, I'll tell you, that's not what I'd have done. I'd have said, like Travis Tritt, here's a quarter, call someone who cares. You ain't coming back home. <laughs> So he did. In Hosea chapter 3, verse 3, it says that he prophesied to them and he said, Now that you're back home, Gomer, now that you're back home, Israel, now that you're back with God, Israel, you will dwell with me 
And you shall not play the whore or belong to another man again. God loves us. God wants us. And we need to come. And Hosea's prophecy went on to say, but you shall come to me in fear. Now that is not trembling fear. That is reverential fear. There's a difference. When you reverentially fear God, you hold him in high esteem. It's a great fear to be afraid to miss God's will. Some of you in here today or, or that are streaming are right now wondering, what should I do with God? And God's already told you what you should do. Maybe you should do this, or maybe you should love this person, or maybe you should marry this one, or, or maybe you should adopt a child, or maybe you should repent. And God's already told you what to do. And Hosea says, do it, and you will not regret it. So now with the review completed, and me giving you the GRV version of that story, let's get in to the sermon in the text today. Hosea was faced with something that was really unique to his area, to his culture. But it's not unique to our culture. They had three cultural characteristics. Number one, the culture had decided that love could be bought. That's why there is a multi-billion dollar porn industry today. Because we have decided that love can be bought. They had, have decided that love is self-indulgence. Love is taking care of me. Love is all about me, and it's all about what I get and what I receive. It's all about self-indulgence. That was Hosea's people. And the third thing they had decided was that love is measured by inanimate objects. There used to be a bumper sticker, and I guess it's still around somewhere, that says, the one who dies with the most toys wins. Wrong. The one who dies with the most God wins. With God filling up your life. I love the scripture that she read this morning for the call to worship. He must increase and I must decrease. That's the law of spiritual dis displacement. We have to allow God to increase in us and ourself to die. The Apostle Paul said, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. We've got to get to the point in our life that we are pushing self out. And the more we put in of God, the more of self gets out of the way. So with these three characteristics facing Hosea in his day, I want to remind you, these are the same characteristics that we are facing in our culture today. So let's look at what the Word of God says. Hosea chapter 6, verse 1. Sometimes I need these, sometimes I don't, so bear with me. Hosea is talking to Israel and Judah, an unrepentant people. When God deals with his people, he wants repentance from them. Look at what he says in verse 1. Come, let us return to the Lord, for he has torn that he may heal us. He has struck us down, and he will bind us up. There is a plea here for repentance. We need to never stop repenting we need to constantly work on repenting and getting close to god repentance means to turn from our way we're heading this way towards sin in a in a rapid pace but when we repent we have to stop and turn around and go back toward god you can only be going one direction you're either going toward god in your life and in your living by repenting or you're going towards sin and the enemy that is out to destroy your soul. Never stop repenting. Repentance is a key word throughout the word of God. I will tell you this. The more you indulge, the more you experiment and experience sin, the easier it is to sin. Desensitizing yourself to sin does not make it right. 
in training horses that when we train them, we desensitize them to certain things. I had the privilege and opportunity to compete in cowboy-mounted shooting, and we had to desensitize the horses to the gunfire. We would ride the horses and shoot targets along the way, and in doing so, that horse had to be comfortable with that. Now, I want to tell you that's not always the easiest thing to do. There's a lot of people that don't want to be around that, and I understand that. It's alarming. But by desensitizing the horse, you see, horses are fight-or-flight animals, and a lot of us are that way. We'll either fight it or we'll flee from it. We need to flee from sin, and we need to fight off sin is what we need to do. But by desensitizing yourself, by overexposure to sin does not correct the problem. Just because it gets easier to sin does not make it right. Just because we no longer feel the convicting power of the Holy Spirit in our life when we engage in sin does not mean it's justified. Desensitizing yourself to sin does not make it right. In Hosea 5.13, the, the chapter just previous to where we are, it says, When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound. Ephraim knew where he was. He saw his sickness. So often, just like today, when we have issues, we see the symptoms, but we don't see the cure. Ephraim saw his sickness. He knew he was sin sick and he knew he needed help and he knew he couldn't correct it by himself. Judah saw his wound and he, his eyes were drawn to it because of the pain involved. When you have a wound, pain will be there. Regardless of what the wound is, your attention will be drawn to the wound and that's a God thing telling you it needs attention. Now, we can callous it over. Most of you know I lost my thumb a few years back. And in doing so, it was extremely tender because nerves are more sensitive than nerve endings. And when I lost that first digit, it was extremely numb. So I decided to callous it up. When I was driving to and from work, I would rub it on the denim or, or the ducking in my clothing just to toughen it up. And a lot of us have done our lives like that. We toughen up the wounds around it so we don't feel the pain or we don't see the pain of sin in our life. Desensitizing doesn't make it right. He said, Ephraim saw his sickness. But he was only addressing the symptoms. He wasn't addressing the, the cure. Hosea chapter 6 verse 2. Moving on. He says. After two days. He will revive us. And on the third day he will raise us up. That we may live before him. After two days. He will revive us. And on the third day, he will raise us up. Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Hmm. Didn't we know someone else that was in the grave and God raised him up? A couple of them, matter of fact, Lazarus and Jesus, our Savior. He went to the cross for us. He went to the grave for us. And he overcome death, hell, and the grave for you and I. So let's not address the symptoms. Let's address the cure, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. And let's see how he cleanses the problem. Self-justification doesn't make sin right either. We justify what we want to do. It doesn't matter if we're trying to buy <coughs> a new outfit, a new pair of boots, a new truck, a new weapon, a new horse. It does not matter what we're trying to get. We can justify it. Somebody say, ouch. We can do that. And we try to do the same thing with sin. We justify our sin. And just because it appears that others get by with it doesn't make it right for us. So many people 
want to be like others. They want to be like other countries. God set up judges over the house of Israel, and in doing so, he had his plan working, but they said, we don't want to be like that, God. We want to be like the other countries. We want to have a king. And God said, okay, I'll give you a king. At the beginning, that didn't work out so good for them. And it doesn't do good for us to look at others and say, I want to be like them. Why is it all right for them to do? Just because it's all right for someone else doesn't mean it's all right for you. Do you know why? You are an individual. You're more different than the snowflakes that are outside. Every one of us are more different. And we can find that in our differences, some people can do things and it not be sin for them. But we cannot do it because it's sin for us. And that's because of the priorities in our life. So let's quit trying to justify it and make it right. Hosea tells the people that they are to make knowing God their first priority. Look at verse 3. Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is as sure as the dawn, and he will come to us as showers as the spring that rains the water of the earth. Let us press to know the Lord. Wow. How do we know him? Kirk shared with us in weeks previous that knowing the Lord is an intimate process. It says that Joseph did not know Mary until after Jesus was born. Intimacy. It says that Adam knew Eve and she bore a child. Intimacy. You're adults, you know what I'm talking about. We need to have an intimate knowledge of Jesus Christ. We need to embrace him. The word of God says he is our bridegroom. The, the scripture that we read for the call to worship this morning reflected upon that. Jesus is the bridegroom, and we need to be intimate with him. If you don't know him intimately, you are missing out. There is a great pleasure in knowing Jesus Christ intimately. There are four things that we need to know by knowing Christ. Number one, we need to know his ways. We need to know the way God works. And the way you know how God works is it's in here, in his word. Every word on every page from Genesis to Revelation is about Jesus Christ and God's love for his people. And every page shows you his love for you and his ways. We need to know his ways. The next thing we need to know is his purposes. If y'all know me, you know that I'm big on purpose. I don't mean large physically. I mean, I think a lot about purpose. I want to know why. What are God's purposes? The word of God tells us that he came to seek and to save the lost. The Word of God tells us that it's not His will that any should perish, but that all should come to what? Repentance. What we just talked about previously. We need to know God's love. And we need to know God's promises. God's promises are true. God's promises are sure. And they are yes and amen. And when you know his promises, you can stand on them. The word of God tells us that by his stripes, we are healed. The word of God says we are saved to the uttermost. Know his promises and know how they apply to you. He said the first thing we need to do, let us know and let us press on to know takes a little more effort to press on to know the scripture there in three says his going out is as sure as the dawn we count on the sun coming up every morning you got those smartphones and on that little weather app it tells you what time the sun's coming up and what time the sun's going down because that sun is predictable and that sun is predictable because god is predictable you can count on god to be faithful for god is faithful to us he is faithful and just to forgive our sins somebody say amen he is faithful to us and let us lean upon him and let us know him He's as sure as the dawn, and he will come to us as showers 
as the spring rains that water the earth. Psalm 72 and 6 says, May he be like rain that falls on the mown grass, like showers that water the earth. That's what David said about him. I like the King James translation of that, and I know that surprises y'all. But it says, He shall come down like rain upon the fresh mown grass as showers that water the earth. He shall come down. Not he might, not we hope so, but he shall come down. God will come down when you make a place that is a welcome place for him. We just went through the Christmas season and we talked about the innkeeper that didn't have room for him. Every one of us are innkeepers in our own right and we have to make room in our lives for Jesus Christ, for him to live and for him to have a dwelling place and we have to make that room in our heart. So let's know that he will come down like rain upon the fresh mown grass. Do you ever just finished cutting the grass and it starts to sprinkle and you smell that sweet aroma in the air that's the way God does he comes down and you can breathe in and smell him you can sense his presence because he's coming down and it's a sign to you do you ever stand out there after the rain and you see the rainbow? That's his promise to you. We need to know him. We need to know his love. We need to know his ways. We need to know his purpose. And we need to know his promises to us. Regardless of how far you've come in your relationship with God, there's still more about him you can know. No one that ever walked the face of this earth has discovered everything there is to discover in this blessed book. No one. We've had some great men. We've had Billy Grahams. We've had Charles Spurgeons. We've seen men of God that have gone out and, and turned people away from sin and to God. But there's more in here for you to discover. There's more for Greg to discover in here. And we need to know him. Let us press to know him. Two chapters previously in Hosea 4, chapter 6, it says, My people, God's people, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge because you have rejected knowledge. I reject you from being a priest to me. That's pretty serious wording. My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. God doesn't change. People change. Malachi 3 and 6 says, I am the Lord thy God, I change not. Hebrews 13 and 8 says, Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever. God doesn't change. We don't want God to change. Sometimes we think we do. Oh, God, I wish that wasn't a sin so I could get by with it. We think it. The Word of God tells us if we think it and think it in our heart, it's just like committing the sin. We need to turn away from sin and turn to God. We don't want God to change. I like God just the way He is. I have been upset with Him a couple of times, and if you're honest, you'll probably say you've been upset with Him a couple of times yourself. I got angry with God, and you don't ever want to be there, I promise you. I got angry with God, and I couldn't feel him anymore. I couldn't hear him anymore. I shut him out. But I got hungry, and I repented of my anger to God. If you don't believe me, you can ask my wife. That was a rough time. It wasn't good. But God didn't quit. He continued to pursue me even though I didn't pursue him. The relentless pursuit of God is a way he shows his love to us. Know it. Know it that God pursued you. Know it that God did not quit coming after you. The word of God tells us he came to seek and to save the lost. 
we are lost without him all we like sheep have gone astray let's move on to chapter 6 verse 4 I like the way he starts out here what shall I do with you O Ephraim what shall I do with you O Judah your love is like a morning cloud like the dew that goes early away how many times have we said that to our kids what am I going to do with you, Kirk? What am I supposed to do with you, Russ? I could name all the kids, but there ain't no reason for that. You know what I'm saying. We've all said that. But God said it with us first. What am I going to do with you, Greg? You're going the wrong direction. What am I going to do with you, Greg? You're not seeking me. You're not trying to know me. What am I going to do with you, Greg? God ever say that to you? Where we live, we all live together, you know that. We whistle. And I love it when one of us whistles, doesn't matter. Sometimes I'll whistle at the horses and all the kids will come running. What, did you whistle? What do you want? I said, yes, I did, hon, but I'm sorry. I was whistling for the horses. Sometimes God calls us, and we need to come running and come wanting to know what is it that my heavenly Father wants, that my good, good Father wants from me. What does he need from me now? What can I do? How can I be obedient to him? We live in a world that's trying to see what all we can get by with and still be a Christian. Can I do that and still be a Christian? Can I do this and still be a Christian? I think we need to go the other direction. Instead of trying to see how close to the edge of sin we can live and still be a Christian, I think we need to run toward God the other direction and try to see how close we can live to God and still be in this world because God walked with the man Enoch and he took him because they were closer to God's house than they were to his house. And when we get that much God in us, there is no telling what we can do. The word of God says they, they knew him and they brought forth a child and Adam knew Eve and they brought forth a child. My friend when you get close enough to God in your intimacy new life will come forth your kids will get saved your, your parents will get saved your neighbors will find God all because you got intimate with Christ not because of what you've done but because Christ has paid the price we try to live today just enough to check off the box okay I went to church. Okay. I talked to somebody about Jesus. Okay. Quit trying to check off the boxes and try to take on Jesus. Let's say, let's try to say like Paul did, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I better move on. They got that big clock back there so I don't lose track. Instead of being a minimalist, let's see what God says. Hosea 6 and 5. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth, and my judgment goes forth as light. Hewn means to either cut down completely or shape into something useful. In this case, God is saying... I have shaped them into something useful to be used of me. I love to go back in the Old Testament and study the Old Testament tabernacle, how that God took trees and they were hewn to be pillars in the tabernacle. And he said how tall they should be made. And they were cut that way and hewn that way to follow God's plan. God puts people in your life just like that. God, God puts people in your life that will shape you and make you into something useful. 
God will surround you with people if you are looking for them. God will surround you with people that will take off the bark and take off the extra limbs that don't need to be there and take off the the leaves so that he can do something useful with you and make you a pillar in the tabernacle instead of firewood. Therefore I have hewn them by the prophets. I have slain them by the words of my mouth. The words of his mouth, the word of God will kill the old man in you. The apostle Paul said, let us put off the old man. I say let's kill the old man so that the new man can live. The one within our heart said he's slain them by the words of his mouth. You want sin to die in your life? Get in the word. You want sin to die in your life and quit bothering you? You know, sometimes it seems like we hear that knock of sin all the time. Get in the word. The more of God you put in, the more of God's word you put in, the more of you you flush out. He said, my judgment goes forth as light. Hebrews 4 and 12 talks about the word of God. said, the word of God is active, alive, sharper than a two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, discerning the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Sometimes we need the thoughts and intents of our heart pierced and discerned. Because sometimes they're unpure. The Word of God says, Be ye holy, for I am holy. That's God. Like Kirk said the other day, God's a lot more interested in your holiness than He is your happiness. What you think will make you happy will not. But I'll tell you what will make you happy being in God's will. The Apostle Paul was beheaded. And I believe in my own heart, this is another one of them GRV stories, okay? When they took him out to behead him and they bowed him down, they said, Paul, you see that axe? You see that axeman over there? He's going to take your head off. He said, no, I don't see that. But I see a crown of righteousness that is laid up for me and not for me alone, but for all of those that love his appearing. Can we see it? Can we see beyond the temptation of sin? Ephraim and Judah had trouble doing it. Judah was a little stronger, but he still wasn't right. I better move on. Ephesians 5 and 8 says, For at one time you were in darkness, but now you are light in the Lord, Walk as children of the light. I love this. First Peter chapter 2, verses 9 and 10. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellency of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Wow, that sounds familiar. That sounds just like Hosea's kids. You see, Hosea, God spoke to him about those children. And he said, I want you to do a little something, Hosea. I want you to change the names of those kids. I want you to get the birth certificate that says not loved by me no mercy and I want you to change their name so he went and he got the birth certificate of that first daughter and he scratched off not and so her name became loved by me that's us we are the children of God that he may not have loved us then but he loves us now and he said go get that other birth certificate not of my people 
and change that name also. And he did, and he scratched off the word not, and that not of my people became of my people. We are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Hosea 6 and 6. For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice, the knowledge of God rather than burnt offerings. Now you would think just off the top of our heads that God would be honored by us sacrificing things to him. But do you know what those burnt offerings were? They were sin offerings. Burnt offerings meant that his people had sinned, that they had strayed, that they had run away from him like the prodigal son. Like you and I when we were prodigals. But God drew them back. How about it? They were there for him. He said, For I desire steadfast love and not sacrifice. The burnt offerings were sin offerings, and what God wanted was steadfast love. Steadfast means firm in purpose, resolution, faith, unwavering, oh me, firmly established or firmly fixed in faith or position. The dictionary says a steadfast person will remain resolute in their faith and convictions, fixing their heart firmly upon the truth of God's word. In Hosea 4 and 1, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel. The Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love and no knowledge of God in the land. We're living in a day that our culture is getting very close to that. We voted God out of schools. We've taken Bible and prayer out of schools, out of the courthouses. We've removed the Ten Commandments from everywhere we can, and we're tr thinking about taking in God we trust off of our money. We are in a bad situation. But God has a plan. And nothing surprises God. God has a plan in the midst of this situation. And what he wants is for you to be steadfast, unmovable. James 1, 5 through 8 says, A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let not this man think he shall receive anything from God. Let's be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the word of the Lord. Verse 7. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. There they dealt faithlessly with me. It's a bad situation when you're faithless. The word of God says he puts into each one of us a measure of faith. What we do with it depends on what the outcome is. The Bible says, For without faith it is impossible to please God, for he that cometh to him must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. You see, Hosea was telling his people, we need to know God, and knowing God needs to be a priority with us. In the world we live in today, God's saying the same thing. We need to know God, and we need that to be a priority in our life. But like Adam, they transgressed the covenant. In the Garden of Eden, there was the Edenic covenant. And it was where there was innocence in man. Man had not yet fallen. Adam and Eve had not yet slipped up. But then the Adamic covenant, grace and mercy was there because of the prices that had to be paid of sacrifice. But he said, like Adam, they transgressed. God makes it easy for us to come to him. 
When we train horses, we make doing what is right easy and what is wrong difficult. We didn't invent that. God did. God makes coming to him easy and God makes running from him difficult. True repentance means we have changed. As I said earlier, true repentance means we turn from sin and turn toward God. Two things are essential in true repentance. Number one, you have to acknowledge your sin. And I want to tell you right now, sin is your enemy. Sin is the enemy of your soul and your everlasting life. And for every family, we need to get rid of sin, whatever it is. So we have to acknowledge our sin. If you don't recognize the enemy, in the big wars that we've had in World War I, World War II, in all the other conflicts that we've been involved in, we had to recognize the enemy. And you and I individually must recognize the enemy. And the enemy is sin. So we have to acknowledge the enemy. And second of all, true repentance means you have a personal relationship with God. God is there. The prodigal son knew that when he went back home, it might be difficult. But I love the scripture and the story of the prodigal son that says when he went back home, his father was looking for him and watched him coming down the road. And when the father saw the son, he pulled up his robe and garments and ran to meet him. And that's the way God will come to meet you. When you come to God, God will come running for you because he is the good, good father. He loves us. Luke 19 and 10 says, For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. It's relentless pursuit. But because of the sinful nature of Hosea's people, there was a problem. And in order to illustrate this, he said, Hosea, you need to go find Gomer. Chapter 3, verse 1. He said, go find her. Go find her again and marry her. That'd be tough. But God, she's adulterous. She's unfaithful. She's, she doesn't love me like I love her. Isn't that what God says to us? But God, these people are unfaithful. They're sinful. And they don't love you like you love them. 1 Peter 1, 18 and 19 says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without spot or blemish. You and I were on the auction block. God told Hosea to go find his wife. Do you know where he found her? He found her on the auction block. And it was customary that when slaves were sold, they were totally disrobed. And they were standing there, and there was Gomer, stark naked. But Hosea bid for her. Hosea bid for her and he bid 15 pieces of silver and five bushels of barley. 15 is a very significant number. It's the number of God's energy towards humanity. It means that he is reaching in out to us in all ways. And five is the number of grace. Hosea walked in and he bid for Gomer and he bought her. She was on the auction block, and he said, wait a minute, auctioneer, that's my wife. He said, I don't care who you say it is. She has a debt that must be paid. She was wrong. You and I have been wrong. The Word of God says the wages of sin is death. The wages must be paid. 
So in all of Gomer's running around and cavorting, she accumulated quite a debt. But Hosea, the faithful husband to the backslider, went and bought her back. You and I are on the auction block. And we stand there with our sinful hearts, our terrible past, and God steps through the torn curtain in the temple and says, I bid the blood of my son Jesus. A greater price has never been paid. And God bought us with the blood of his son. Hosea bought back his errant wife. And I'm here to tell you this morning, Jesus is your Hosea. Let's pray. Father, speak to our hearts. Touch us, God. I pray, dear God, that the same Holy Spirit that dealt with Hosea would deal with us today. Let us know your truth, your power. And Lord, can we say as Paul that I may know you and the power of your resurrection. God, draw us. God, lead us. God, help us. Amen. Thanks for listening. Feel free to share the contents of this podcast, but please do not alter it in any way without permission. Please like, follow, and subscribe to us on Facebook or iTunes. Visit gospelcc.com for more content like this. At Gospel Community Church, our mission is to know the Bible, share life with others, and bring hope to our city and the world. Thanks again and have a blessed day.